Bible, please open it to Genesis chapter 3. Are you guys doing well this morning? All right. Felt like winter this morning. Genesis chapter 3. We've been looking at verses 10 through 13. If two spouses say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in marriage, you have the prospects of a truly great marriage. Travis, can you mute those mics up front? Get an echo. Okay. If two spouses say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage, says Tim Keller. You see, the, the point of these sermons on the hardness of marriage is to get each spouse or soon-to-be spouse or those who hope to be a spouse to see that their own sin will show its ugly head in their marriage. It's not to make you feel bad. It's not to make you leave here beating yourself up. But the point is to hopefully show you some things that maybe you can be convicted of some things so that you can repent of it. Because you can't, convict, you can't repent of sin if you don't see it. See, marriage is, it is not what it was created to be now. We all know that. It's hard. It's hard. It's still good but requires a lot of hard work to make it work. Because when you look at your marriage, or soon-to-be marriage, through the lenses of the fall, then you see that marriage is hard, and even sometimes broken. Genesis 3 happened. It happened. That is a true event. Adam and Eve did fall, and it has impacted every area of our life and including every relationship and every marriage in this room or soon-to-be marriage. Sin, self-centeredness, and playing the shame game are all now enemies of every marriage and every relationship. No marriage and no relationship is exempt from that. We don't get a pass on that. You will struggle with it. There's a quote that says, you have to keep your friends close, but your enemies even closer. In marriage, that means when it comes to the enemies of your marriage, you have to have open and honest conversation about them. Communication. You have to communicate about your self-centeredness with your spouse. The shame game. All these things that, that can be a threat to your marriage, you've got to talk about it. You can't kick the can down the road and pretend like it does not exist. You can't. You can show face to me. But I'm talking about behind closed doors. How are you going to deal with it? How are you dealing with it? Acknowledge it. Deal with these things. And I hope the Holy Spirit, he will use your faith to help you get through those things. To talk about your sin, your self-sentence, and the shame game. And there's yet one more game that we play. 
in our relationships, in our marriage. It's called the blame game. And it, too, is an enemy of every marriage. And we learned it from our first parents. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And Adam said to the Lord God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. The Lord God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Adam said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Then Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to your truth, as we come to your word, we need your Holy Spirit, Father, to come and give us clear understanding of it. We do. If he doesn't come and move in our hearts, then nothing is going to take place here. Our preacher is just a man. He is not part of the Godhead. He is not divine. He is not a prophet receiving revelation from God. He is just an under-shepherd to the shepherd. I, too, am a sinful man in need of grace, in need of truth. So my pride, Holy Spirit, move it to the side so that you can do what you do best, that is minister to God's people apart from me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The blame game is like dodgeball. The main objective in this game in marriage is to dodge personal responsibility for your actions. You dodge it. That's your aim. That's your objective. And so you want to dodge personal responsibility for the ways your actions have hurt and harmed your marriage. And there are two ways to play the blame game in marriage and in any relationship. And we see both here in Genesis 3. First is you play the role of victim. Where you're always the victim, no matter what goes down in your marriage. You're always the one that's been hurt. The second way is to play the role of bystander, where it's never your fault. Well, it's not my fault. I'm just standing here. (laughs) Victim, bystander. And both of these roles are played out by Adam and Eve here. Verse 10, Adam says to God, I heard a sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. In verse, remember from last week in verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam. And said, Adam, where are you? And that was the Lord giving Adam the chance to own what had happened in the garden. Giving him the opportunity to come clean. One pastor, Legan Duncan, says, the Lord came asking questions because, not because he needed answers, but because he's trying to draw Adam out of the mare which he had created. God's questioning to Adam in verse 9 shows the very marks of grace as God gently attempts to draw Adam into awareness of the magnitude of what he had done. I'm going to say that again. God's questions to Adam in verse 9 shows the very marks of grace as God gently attempts to draw Adam into the awareness of what he had done. Because the Lord God could have came in the garden with an iron fist. Remember, he could have came in 
put Adam on blast, but he did not. He did not shame him. He did not demean his dignity and his worth and his value. He did not. He shows Adam kindness in the midst of what Adam had did, in the midst of what Adam had done, graciously giving him the opportunity to come clean. But will he? Will he own what he did? No, he does not. Instead, he plays the blame game. He plays the victim card. He says to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and, and I hid myself. Is that true? Is that the real reason why he hid himself among the trees in the garden? No. This is Adam making excuses. This is Adam trying to get the Lord God to show him pity or sympathy while dodging personal responsibility. I, I, I heard you in the, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I didn't have any clothes on, Lord. I'm a victim. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I was just hiding. This was not the first time the Lord God was in the garden. And this was not the first time Adam heard the Lord God in the garden. Remember, before the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed being in God's presence. They did. This was not the first time they was in his presence. And their reaction to God's presence is now different. Their reaction to his presence is now different. Why? Because they are different now. Because of their sin and rebellion. That presence no longer feels the same. They can no longer be in it now. The relationship they once had with him is now broken and separated. And mankind in his rebellion responds differently to God's presence. Not like it did before. The presence that one time brought joy now brought fear. The presence that one time brought joy has now brought fear. Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. The Hebrew term for afraid can also mean fear. And the fear that Adam is experiencing is not awe and reverence. Because fear can also mean worship. But he wasn't worshiping here. This was not worship. This was him, for the very first time, experiencing the fear of emotion. Something he never felt before. Emotion. Fear. Scared. Afraid. He was experiencing this for the first time as a sinful man. He did not want to appear before God's presence in his rebellion. He did not. This term that has been translated, hid myself, literally means hide myself in fear. Hide myself in fear. And as I was studying about this phrase, I found that 30. 25 of the 30 occurrences of this phrase refer to people who were hiding in fear of death. Hiding in fear of death. Please understand, Adam and Eve did not forget the commandment that the Lord God gave them. They didn't. They didn't forget that commandment that he gave Adam back in Genesis 2. From any tree in the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, 
You will surely die. You will surely die. He senses it. He feels it. And what he really fears is the consequences of his rebellion. The consequences. So he hid himself. He plays the role of victim in order to dodge personal responsibility and to escape the consequences of his sin. He's playing the blame game. And we do too. We play it in all our relationships. Even siblings play it with each other. Even in marriage. Spouses in a marriage with the victim card in their back pocket and they'll use it at any given moment. Any given moment, they can use it. We'll use it. Now there's a difference between playing the victim and actually being a victim. People who are actually victims are those who suffer some type of abuse or, or violence or oppression or some health or mental issue. Those are victims. And I'm not talking about that here. What I'm talking about is playing the victim in order to dodge personal responsibility and to escape consequences of your sin. That's what I'm talking about. Where you play the victim to deal with marital issues and conflicts. When your spouse calls you out for stuff, do you own it? Do you own it? And what, is it what is it like to play the victim? It's, it's the woe is me, the poor me card. The world and everyone is always against me. What we do? Do you make excuses like Adam or do you disown it when your spouse calls you out? Baby, what had happened was she came on to me. On the victim, she came on to me. I was lonely and I needed a friend and he was there for me. So, so I'm just a victim of loneliness. Well, I'm sorry. I just I can't do anything right. What does it look like in your marriage to play the victim? Is it codependency? Passive aggressiveness? Manipulation? We all have our way of doing it to get what we want. One author says, when you play the victim, you gain what you want from others by making them feel responsible for your reality. When you play victim, you gain what you want from others by making them feel responsible for your reality. And that's a victim card. A spouse plays victim to try to make their spouse feel responsible for their reality. It's really an attempt for you to dodge personal responsibility or to escape consequences. This week I came across a quote from a wife who who reflected on her victim, victim playing role in her marriage, she says, you won't believe how effortless it is to make yourself a victim. I've been there. I've done that. I had the mindset where I felt like I was the only one who suffered with problems, or the results of problems. I always felt that I was hurt. The one being taken for granted, the one being taken advantage of, I never imagined that it was the other way around. I always felt that I was hurt, the one being taken for granted. And I never imagined that it was the other way around. A victim never realizes that. Think about what she's saying. Please understand, admitting that you messed up would not 
come naturally in marriage. There's a part of you that ain't going to want to do it. You got to know that. You ain't going to want to come clean. Your natural instinct is to self-protect and to hide yourself. And sometimes we do it by playing the victim. Like Adam in our text. But, but God did not let him continue in that. He continued to push. He continued to press. And ask more questions of Adam. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I command you not to eat? Still, God doesn't beat him up. Still, God has, does not shame him. Still, God does not use the iron fist of judgment on him. He's still pressing, still, still giving him opportunity to come clean, to just say, I messed up. I sinned. I ate. But no, he doesn't own it. Instead, he plays innocent bystander. The woman you gave to be with me gave me the fruit, and I ate. You see, both Adam and Eve in this part of the text assert that they are just innocent bystanders of what had happened. That is, they, they should not be at fault, basically. It's not my fault. And so they shift blame away from themselves onto someone else. And that come easily in marriage. You can easily do that to your spouse. And Adam, he's so messed up, he actually blamed God. He actually blames God here. I hope you see that. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. I mean, what do you, th- what do you think that means? I'm a bystander, God. I'm a victim of circumstances. In the role of bystander, you always argue that you're never at fault of any issue or any problem. And this is what Adam is clearly doing here. It's not my fault, he is saying to God. In fact, it's your fault, God. You see what sin has done to him? His whole being is now poisoned by it. His soul is not under dominion by it. So much so, he shifts the blame of his disobedience to the God that created him. I mean, the God had to be like, did he actually say what I think he said? Yes, Lord, he did. And Adam is basically saying to God, it was you who said it was not good for me to be alone. I didn't say that. You said it. I was fine by myself. I was enjoying being a bachelor, but no, you had to make a helper fit for me. And look what has happened. It's your fault, God. You were the one who caused me to fall asleep. You were the one who took my rib. Now look what my rib has done to me. He has caused me to sin, Lord. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So here, it's not my fault, it's your fault. God, for my sin. Remember, Eve was given to Adam by the Lord God as a gift for his benefit. But you see what sin has done to him? He now cursed his own blessing. Cursed his own blessing. You don't think sin will poison your marriage? 
It will. The gift that God gave him for his own good, he not considered as a curse. What did he, what did he, when Adam, when he first brought Eve to Adam, what did he say? This is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He went from that to throwing her under the bus by shifting to blame on her and referring to her as just the woman. He didn't even refer to her as his wife. The woman that you gave me to be with me, gave me the fruit, and I ate. She was more than just a woman. She was actually his wife, but he did not treat her as such. Sin can do that. Not just Adam wasn't just messed up. Eve was too. When God questioned her, she did the same thing. Yeah, we know that the enemy was there. He deceived her, but she did not take personal responsibility either. What is this you have done, Eve? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. They both shift blame. They both do not take personal responsibility for their own sin. And they both claim to be just innocent bystanders of what had happened in the garden. In all Genesis 3, no one owned it. No one owned it. No one took responsibility for what happened. It was always someone else's fault. You wonder why, as people, we don't take personal responsibility? Read Genesis 3. <laughs> it tells you why. Sin. It's going to come natural to you in your marriage to, do, to, be, to say that you're innocent. It's going to come natural in your marriage for you to say, I'm just a bystander of every issue and conflict. And it's going to come natural for you to try to, make, to blame your spouse for everything that goes wrong in your marriage. It's going to come easy for you. You've got to know that. Because part of your sin, is not going to want to, you're not going to want to own it. You're not going to want to take responsibility. So it doesn't come easy for you to blame your spouse for your own sin, for your addictions, for your unfaithfulness, for your anger, for your abuse, for your neglect and your laziness and so forth. If you were just more loving, then I'd be that. If you were just a little more understanding, I wouldn't have done that. If you were this or that, I would be this. It's your fault for these things, not mine. That's what sin does. One of the well-known scenes in the Forrest Gump movie is when Forrest Gump was sitting on the bench in Savannah, Georgia, where he says, my mom always says, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. In the life of marriage, that's not true. If spouses unrepentantly live in self-centeredness and live to play the shame and blame game, I can tell you what kind of chocolate you're going to get. A bad marriage is what you're going to get. <laughs> Unhealthy, bad marriage where spouses use and abuse one another to get what they want. Sin turns marriage into manipulation in order for spouses to get what they want. If you don't know how to live in marriage post-fall, you turn to manipulation to get your needs met. That's what sin does if it runs rampant in your marriage. Again, 
Am I saying these things to make you feel bad? Am I saying these things to beat you up, to make you think worse about yourself? No. I'm saying these things to equip you for how to handle sin in your marriage, to get you to see it. You can't deal with things you don't see to get you to own it, take personal responsibility for it. And both spouses are as sinful spouses now. It's not pre-fall marriages. We live east of Eden now. And in that, we have to deal with our sin in marriage. It's going to come up. It's all about are we going to deal with it biblically or are we going to deal with it worldly? That's always the question. How are you going to handle your spouse's sin issues? And how is your spouse going to handle yours? You cannot kick the can down the road all the time when it comes to this stuff. It's either going to blame each other, shame each other, or you're going to have a home, a marriage that's under grace at the cross. And we're going to get into that stuff the next part of the sermon series. In the in May of this year, a well-known Christian gave some interesting counsel to a woman who sent a letter into his show about her husband cheating on her. This is what he tells this, um, one of his uh, listeners. He says, stop talking about the cheating. He cheated on you. Well, he's a man. Okay? So what you got to begin to do is focus on why you married him in the first place. On what good he does. Does he provide a home for you to live in? Does he provide food for you to eat? Does he provide clothes for you to wear? Is he nice to the kids? Like it or not, males have a tendency to do, uh, you know, wonder a little bit. And what you do is you have to make a home so wonderful for him that he don't want to wonder. I was like, what the? <laughs> this actually happened. What? He blames the wife for her husband's infidelity and makes her feel responsible for his actions. And this is coming from a Christian. This is not coming from someone who's outside the world in the world. This stuff has been taught in the church. Playing the victim and being the innocent bystander are just two ways you can dodge personal responsibility and avoid consequences. To get free from that, blame game requires spouses to die to their pride. To die to your pride. Because a wife is not responsible for her husband's unfaithfulness and vice versa. Your spouse is not responsible for your sin. You are. No one can make you sin. The devil don't make you sin. He may entice you, but we go because we want to go. If you cheat, you cheat because you want to cheat. If you lie, you lie because you want to lie. Your spouse is not responsible for your sin. You are. Your spouse is not. And when you make them feel that way, you are sinning against them and God. To get free from these things, you have to die to your pride. And that requires spouses who are believers to bring your faith in Christ into your marriage. Is it there? Or is it just on the bookshelf? Is your faith part of your marriage with your spouse? Because if you're going to handle your spouse's sin issues and your issues, your faith got to be there, man. It has to be there. It has to be there. Think about this. 
Christ did not dodge the cross for your sin, did he? Did he avoid death for your sin? No, he did them both for you. He willingly laid down his life for you so that you don't have to. And he does not play the blame and shame game with you. He took all that upon himself for you. Man, if that don't free you up, if that don't don't motivate you to show your spouse at least an ounce of grace, then you don't understand the gospel at all. At least an ounce of grace. You have to realize what Christ has done for you. We sing about it each week. But it has to be real. Behind closed doors real. Not when you're hanging out with your friends to show face. But behind closed doors real. Where you really believe Christ took my shame and blame upon himself. So because of that, I can give my spouse at least a little bit of grace today. A little bit of grace. So if we're going to get free from those things, we have to tap into our faith. And like I said, we're headed there to what that actually looks like in our marriage. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that on the cross you took my shame. You took the blame that was for me. You took my sin. All those things, Lord, you took upon yourself. For each of us here, you took those things away from us and bore it upon yourself willingly because you love us. Because you love us. God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of us who are saving faith in you, Lord, we, we have to bring that into our marriages. We have to. We have to. In all of our relationships, Our faith is vital. It is important. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move in us, Lord, that you will change us, that you will work grace in us more and more. Help us to see our sins so that we can repent of it. Conviction leads to repentance, Lord. Condemnation always leads to guilt. You don't condemn us, but you do convict us. And so I pray that you will leave us to better to higher levels of repentance, Lord, in our marriages. I pray for our marriage that you help spouses be able to, com- to communicate, Lord, to listen to one another, to be able to talk about hard things all under the cross, Lord. And we can do that when, you're, when, you're, when our faith is working in our marriages. And so I pray for all this in your son's name. Amen.